at Cornerstone. Man, super glad you're here, and especially because it's raining. Now, uh, all of you that are watching online, you may not understand this, but rain in Arizona is incredibly rare, and we are just not a hardy people for rain. Uh, we're more like the Wicked Witch of the West. We melt when it rains. And so I just want to honor you for risking your lives to be here at church today. Hey, uh, we're in the third week in a conversation about purpose. Let me catch you up to where we are right now. We started the first week, we looked at a guy by the name of Moses, and here's what we discovered. That when Moses chose to live his own way, to follow his own path, when he said, I'm going to live for my own purpose, Moses' life was less. But in that moment when he finally said, okay, God, you're going to make the call, you're going to make, I'm going to live for what you created me to be and created me to do, his life was wildly better. And guys, we're not talking about a slight improvement, a nice ad, his life was wildly better than when he had been living in his own purpose. And the reason that's critical for you and me to know is because exactly that same is true for us. When you decide to live your way and according to your plan, your life will be less. And when you finally discover the purpose for which God created you, the reason for which you're here, your life will be incredibly better than you ever imagined it could possibly be. Last week, uh, we had a conversation about a guy by the name of Joseph. And as you look at the life of Joseph, there's so much about what happens as far as the people in his life and the events of his life that you and I would be inclined to say, man, that was a horrible moment. Why did God allow that really evil person to come into Joseph's life? And here's what we discovered last week, is that every significant person Every significant event that God has allowed in our life was actually there, even though you and I might classify it as bad, in order to prepare me for my purpose. There were things I was intended to learn. There were things that I needed to understand. And those people and those events were literally the hand of God preparing me. And that if we look back at the events that have happened in our life, the people that God has brought in our life, good and bad, all of a sudden, if we ask, what was the purpose God did that, we might begin to see the purpose for which we were created. Today, uh, we're going to look in the life of a guy named Abraham. And here's what we're going to discover, that you and I will never fully live in our purpose until we're mature enough for our purpose. Let me just say this again, because this is a big deal. You and I will never fully live in our purpose until we are mature enough, till we have followed God enough, till we have committed our lives enough for our purpose. We're gonna dive into a passage that has confused theologians for years and years. Christians have looked at it and said, why in the world would God do that? And suddenly, as we look at this moment in Scripture through the lens of purpose, that God was about preparing Abraham for all of a sudden this passage makes a ton of sense. So here we go. Go with me in your Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 22. If you're not familiar, if you go to the front of your Bible, 
Uh, you're gonna find this book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 22. Let, let me explain what's happening here. Uh, God has already revealed Abraham's purpose. He said to Abraham, here's, look, here's the deal. You're gonna be the father of an incredible nation, and the reality is every nation in the world is gonna be blessed through you. Now, here's what's interesting. Most often, God does not reveal our purpose ahead of time. Most of the time, you and I have to grow in maturity before we begin to see what our purpose was, what God created us to do. But in the case of Abraham, he tells him ahead of time, hey, you're gonna father a great nation. Every nation in the world is gonna be blessed. Then we get to Genesis chapter 22, and all of a sudden, it looks like God breaks his promise. Uh, God makes a request of Abraham that you and I look at and go, that is wild. God asks Abraham to sacrifice his one son, Isaac. And it looks like in that moment, first off, I mean, why would God even ask for human sacrifice? That's just beyond comprehension. But more than that, it looks like God is backing out of his promise, right? Because how is Abraham going to be the father of a great nation if his one and only son is going to be, his son is going to be killed? So here we go. It's Genesis chapter 22, starting uh, in verse 1. Uh, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Don't miss that phrase. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here, uh, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son. And just to make it clear, we're gonna hear a little later that Abraham actually has had an illegitimate son uh, named Ishmael, but Isaac is the son of promise. So God says, hey, take your son, your one and only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and he said to his son Isaac, when he had, uh, <clears throat> his servants and his son Isaac, when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Apparently Isaac has good observation skills. He's like, this is confusing and how is this gonna work? About this time, if I were Isaac, I'd be running home. Abraham answered, uh, verse eight, uh, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, and the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, Abraham replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. 
Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns and he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time, and he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, here's what's interesting in the passage. It starts by saying, hey, this was a test. It ends with God, with God saying to Abraham, okay, uh, you're ready. Uh, all that thing I promised, all that thing I said I was gonna do through you, you're ready for me to do that now. Now, to fully understand why this is happening and what's going on on that mountain, what the test was all about, you have to understand where Abraham starts spiritually. When God first reveals to Abraham, says, Abraham, I'm gonna make you a great nation. Out of you, all the nations will be blessed. Abraham is not ready for the purpose of God in his life because, you ready for this? Because he is not mature enough for the purpose of God in his life. Matter of fact, Abraham is an absolute adolescence. He's a child spiritually when the promise and the purpose first come to him. Remember what we said? You will never fully be able to live in the purpose of God unless you're mature enough, and Abraham ain't mature enough. That is a real word biblically. Okay, all right. There's no way this guy's ready for the purpose of God. Here's, here's two stories scripture tells us about, about the life of Abraham that let you and I know he has no business being the father of a nation. First story. Shortly after uh, Abraham goes to the promised land, uh, there comes up a famine, and Abraham makes the decision, hey, let's go down to Egypt, live there for a little while, till the famine's over, and then we'll go back to the land that God promised. On his way to Egypt, uh, he stops, and he says to his wife, Sarah, look, you're babelicious. Uh, you are just incredibly good-looking. And when we get to Egypt, the Egyptians are going to want you, and they're going to kill me in order to get to you. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna tell the Egyptians that you're my sister, not my wife. And sure enough, they get to Egypt and they ask, hey, who is this? And Abraham says, well, that's just, that's my sister. Word gets back to Pharaoh. There is this incredibly beautiful woman who just came with her brother to Egypt. He then sends for her and takes her into the palace to become one of his many wives. And most biblical theologians will tell us that they believe that Pharaoh actually marries her and sleeps with her. And Abraham's okay. Abraham's willing, because here's, here's what we discover about Abraham. When things get tough, Abraham becomes dishonest. He's willing when, when it's hard to lie his way through it and out of it. He's nowhere near mature enough to be the father of a nation. Second story. Uh, it's the story of uh, 
Ishmael and Hagar. See, here's what happens. God has promised Abraham that he's gonna be the father of a nation, but he's childless. Matter of fact, when the promise comes to Abraham that he's gonna birth a nation, he's 90 years old. Here's the problem. When you get to a certain age, some of the equipment doesn't work the way it used to work. And so Abraham begins to doubt. He goes, how's this gonna happen? I'm 90, Sarah's 80. So after a pause, and God doesn't seem to be coming through, Sarah goes to Abraham and says, hey, look, you're supposed to be the father of a nation. I don't know that I can bear you a child. I'll I'll tell you what, take my handmaid, Hagar. She's young. Have a, a son by her, and then we'll raise him as if he's ours. And so sure enough, Abraham says, well, you know what? It looks like God had good intentions, but maybe God needs our help. And so he sleeps with Hagar. She bears a son by the name of Ishmael, who, by the way, you ready for this? Becomes the father of all the Arab nations, who from that day forward will always fight with the children of Isaac, the children of Israel. Because... In that moment, Abraham was not mature enough and believed that maybe God needed a little bit of help. You understand Abraham is a half-in, half-out follower of God. So here's, here's how Abraham processes life. If I'm going to obey God, it has to make sense. In other words, I've got to be able to go, oh, I I see how that works. I understand why you would make that command. It's got to make sense before I'm ready to obey. You and I understand that, right? Because we've done that. We said, God, I I can't believe you've got that in Scripture. This has got to be like old-timey stuff. You, You don't really expect us in the 21st century to do that. It doesn't make sense. I mean, what about those passages about not living with uh, the person that you're dating before you get married? And you go, God, look, everybody's doing it. Even Christians are living together before they get married. You got to test drive the car before you buy it. I mean, I mean, it doesn't make sense, right? See, this is uh, the moment in which uh, we say, hey, uh, why would I tithe? I mean, why would I trust God with my finances? I'm not sure he even has his CPA. I, I, don't, I don't know that he understands 401ks. And then the economy, have you seen the economy? I better trust me with my finances. Why would I trust God? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense, right? Why would I serve? I mean, why would I serve? I mean, give my time freely to the church. I mean, why would I? And do you understand my schedule? Do you understand how busy I am at work and how busy I am trying to raise a family and how busy I, It makes no sense. Why would I do that? Why would I be careful about what I watch? I mean, why, why would I? Yeah, I know scripture says I will set before my eyes no wicked thing. But why would I stop watching Game of Thrones? Why, why would I do that? I mean, I know there's a ton of nudity in it and a whole bunch of, 
I wouldn't have anything to talk about my, with my coworkers. Why would I? It doesn't make sense. And you and I understand the struggle of Abraham because we struggled there too. God just asked you and I to do something that doesn't add up. Here's the second thing. Abraham's not ready to do it if it's not convenient. Hey, if this is hard, if this, if this means sacrifice, what, what? Because here's, look, look, look. I became a Christian so God could help me. I became a Christian so he could make my life better. I, I didn't do this so that I would have to work at it, so that I'd have to sacrifice for it. No, 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 no. God's a little genie in a bottle, right? And he's granting me my three wishes. Abraham is a half in, half out follower of God. And he is absolutely not ready. Can you imagine if he were the father of a nation and he's a part-time father? What would that nation look like? See, you need like a George Washington type person. You need a Nelson Mandela type person to be the father of a nation. You don't need an adolescent Abraham to be the father of a nation. Abraham is not mature enough to live in God's purpose. He's not ready. Which brings you and me to this question. Are we? Are we mature enough that God could actually reveal his purpose to us and we would be able to live in that purpose. Are we ready? The question that God is asking on Mount Moriah that day, the reason he says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take that son who you love more than yourself. I want you to take and sacrifice him on the side of a mountain in a moment, get this, that it looks like I'm breaking my promise to you. That's what I want you to do, Abraham. And what did scripture say it was? It's a test. It's a test. Because about 25 years has elapsed from the time that we're introduced to adolescent Abraham to the moment in which God takes him to Mount Moriah to make that sacrifice. And here's what God's asking. Have you grown up, Abraham? Have you moved forward uh, in your faith? And here's the incredible thing. Abraham passes the test. He goes to a moment that is, you ready? Makes no sense to his heart, that is absolutely inconvenient for his life. And he gets there and he's holding up a knife, ready to sacrifice his son, simply because God asked him to. Abraham has grown up. And here's what I know. Here's what you know about Abraham. Somewhere in those 25 years, he has surrendered. He surrendered. He surrendered his dishonesty. Because here's the, if, if he hadn't gotten through this, if he hadn't said, hey, I get it. I get that my dishonesty doesn't serve me well. I get that my dishonesty always comes back to haunt me. And I choose, I choose to live with integrity and not try to lie my way out of problems. If he hadn't surrendered that, then when God had made his request, he would have said, hey, God, look, I, I would do this so willingly. But you know, Isaac ran away a couple months ago. I, I have no idea where he is. He would have tried to lie his way out of it. He has surrendered trying to manipulate God, trying to say, hey, I think God has good intentions, but I'm gonna help him out. 
Because if he hadn't surrendered manipulating God, then he probably would have taken one of his, main, his men servants up there on the hill, would have put him in one of Isaac's robes, pretended that it was Isaac, and hoped that God hadn't noticed. And what you and I know, the reason God had to test him was to say, Abraham, have you matured? Have you grown? Are you ready to be the father of a nation? Are you ready for my purpose for you? And the answer was yes, because I've surrendered. All those areas of my life that previously I withheld, all those areas of my life in which I tried to control you, God, I've surrendered. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles because there's an amazing passage in Scripture about surrender, and it's in the book of Hebrews. If you're not familiar, Hebrews is almost at the end of your Bible, so you can go all the way to the back and then start working uh, to the left. If you get to the book of Revelation, you went too far, just so you know. Hebrews chapter 12. Now here's uh, something really, really important for you to know. Hebrews chapter 12 happens after Hebrews chapter 11. Years of Bible college, so that I could tell you that. Here's why this is critical. Hebrews chapter 11 is God's hall of fame. It is a listing, you want to have a great time, just go read it uh, after we're done today. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about people who were absolutely mature in their faith and therefore were able to live out God's purpose in remarkable ways, remarkable ways. And when chapter 11 finishes, it says, because you and I have seen this, what it means to be mature enough to live in God's purpose, you and I should respond. You and I should live differently. Hebrews chapter 12 verse one, and here's what it says it should do to us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews chapter 11, all those stories of the great men and women of God, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles, ready? And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What is the race marked out for you? God's purpose. That God beforehand planned the race of your life, the course that you would take, where the finish line was for what God intended for your life. And it says, in order for us to run that race, you and I need to take off everything that would slow us down, everything that would keep us from God's purpose, surrendering, surrendering my doubts, surrendering my arguments, surrendering my objections, surrendering my most private sins, surrendering to do whatever God wants me to do so that I can live this, I can run this race. And here's what you're going to discover, that on the other side of surrender, comes maturity. That every time you and I say, hey, you know what, God, I didn't trust you for that before, but I'm deciding to trust you now. Up until now, that's been one of my favorite sins, but I'm gonna surrender that sin to you. That on the other side of surrender always comes growth, always comes maturity in our lives. It's the key to maturity is surrender. 
I remember one of the first times in my life when I experienced this surrendering and then growing like wild afterwards. So I'm a teenager, and I had as my life's purpose, I'm going to do everything the opposite of my dad. See, the truth is, I was absolutely filled with anger and bitterness for some of the things he had done. And so I just said, look, whatever my dad would do, I'm going to do the opposite. And I remember one day sitting in a car out in front of my house with my youth pastor, and he looked at me and he said, Lynn, uh, it is so clear how deeply angry and how deeply bitter you are at your dad. And I said, yeah, so what? Uh, It's actually become my life mantra. I'm going to do everything the opposite of him. To which my youth pastor said, Lynn, here's what you don't understand. You're looking just like your dad. And I said, that's insane. I do everything the opposite. I think, what would dad do? I do the opposite of it. And my youth pastor said to me, no, Lynn, you don't understand. The things that your dad did that were so wounding and so discreet, they came from selfishness. And you're so consumed with being different than your dad that the only thing you focus on is yourself. You're one of the most selfish young men I've ever met. And the only way that this is gonna change for you is if you surrender your anger. You you surrender your bitterness and you forgive your dad. And guys, I talk about a wrestle. I mean, I mean, this this was the guiding principle of my life. And I remember being convicted. And even though my heart didn't want to do it, I knew I needed to do it. And I bowed my head and I said, God, I just need you to give me the strength to forgive my dad and, and let him off the hook. Let him off the hook for everything he's ever done. Can I tell you that on the other side of that prayer, my Christian life shot forward? Because, you ready? Because maturity always happens on the other side of surrender. So let me, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you surrendered? When's the last time you took something that you had held close, that you said, I'll never give, you said, I'll... And you said, okay, God, I'm done. I'm done arguing about this. I'm done fighting about it. I surrender. Because it's probably the last time you really, really grew. It's impossible to live in your purpose if you're too immature for your purpose. All right, let's do this. I've set up kind of a a little self-test a self-assessment for you. And I'm just gonna, we're gonna talk about different levels of spiritual maturity. I'm gonna describe them. I want you to self-assess and go, hey, where would I land on the maturity spectrum? Where would I be? Because the next question out of it is, am I mature enough for God to work his purpose in my life? Okay, here we go. You, you decide. Uh, we're not gonna ask you to raise your hand and go, oh, I'm a horrible, cr-. no, we're not gonna do that. You're gonna decide, okay? You're just gonna put yourself where you belong. So uh, the first box uh, would be baby Christian. Uh, A baby Christian is somebody who knows very little of their Bible. And here's why that's a big deal. If you don't know your Bible, how are you going to live your Bible? And a baby Christian wouldn't. A baby Christian's just kind of, I'm just figuring this thing out. A baby Christian, if you were to look at their life, you could probably count on your fingers how many things they've surrendered so far. 
Matter of fact, their Christian walk, their Christian faith has come such a short distance so far that their coworkers, their neighbors, have no idea they're a Christian. If they didn't say it out loud, no one would even know because there's not enough evidence in their life for someone to go, ooh, you are a radically changed follower of Jesus. I can see it in you. You can't see it in a baby Christian. Some of us are at the child level, the adolescent level. This is exactly where Moses starts. Uh, He's an adolescence in God following. Um, Here's what you know about adolescent level. They are easily overcome. In other words, when when, uh, their faith gets challenged, man, they react with fear. Man, if, if, if God's gonna make it this hard, I think maybe I'm out. Uh, if it's gonna be this inconvenient to me, I, I don't think I'm interested. Matter of fact, uh, I can tell you that adolescent Christians do not go to church consistently. Uh, they wake up on Sunday morning, and here's the discussion in a baby Christian or an adolescent Christian's home. Hey, are we going to church today? And it becomes an every Sunday discussion and decision. Matter of fact, adolescent Christians look at Christians who are further along in their faith, and they go, wow, that's some crazy stuff. I don't know that I even am interested in growing to that level. I mean, I don't know that I'm even interested because it doesn't make sense to me, and it looks highly inconvenient to be that kind of a follower of Jesus. I'm pretty happy where I am, childlike Christian. The next level is the teen. Uh, a teenage Christian uh, is absolutely uh, committed to growth. Matter of fact, uh, they're involved in a growth group because what they would say to you is, look, I can't go far enough. I can't grow fast enough simply coming to church on Sunday. So I'm committed to being in a growth group to accelerate my growth. Here's what's just mind-boggling to me. We will send our children to school six hours every single day. You and I will go to work for 40 hours every week. And then when we're asked to consider actually going to church two hours a week, we go, oh, wow. If you're a teenage Christian, you've answered that. You've said this growing thing is important enough for me to be inconvenienced and to make it a second hour to make sure I grow. Uh, They're faithful in church. They don't wake up on Sunday and go, am I going? They're going. They're going every single week because they're not gonna miss out on an opportunity to grow. Uh, They obey when it's hard. Uh, They obey when it doesn't make sense. They obey when it's inconvenient. They obey when other people are laughing. They just obey because they've committed themselves. And at their heart, their desire is, I don't wanna do anything in my life that could possibly disappoint my God. So I'm gonna try to live really well. That's a teenage Christian. If you're a young adult Christian, then here's what I know. You serve. You serve. Uh, You probably tithe. Because here's what you've decided. The kingdom is more important than me. Making Jesus famous is more important to me. So it makes total sense for me to help other Christians grow in their faith. So I'm gonna serve. It makes total sense to me to help fund the things of God, so I'm gonna tithe. Here's what's interesting. You and I are so in love with our money 
that tithing becomes one of the last things that Christians usually surrender. You go, Lynn, I don't know if I agree with that. That's because you're not tithing. (laughs) Point made. We are so in love with our money that tithing is one of the last things we consider doing because we're too immature to trust God with our money. Uh, For the young adult Christian, the thrill of their heart is to make God proud. They just say, hey, look, I'm gonna live my life in such a way that when God sees me living for him, his heart will skip a beat. He'll be thrilled at the kind of follower that I am. This isn't arguing about what's inconvenient. This isn't arguing about what I don't know. I want to thrill the heart of God. And then finally, some of us are mature. Here's what it takes to be a mature Christian. You are living your life in absolute full surrender. See, somewhere you stopped arguing about the different things and you just said, hey, God, I'm not just gonna surrender about what I watch. I'm just not gonna surrender about what I give. I'm not gonna surrender what I, I'm gonna give you the whole kit and caboodle. I'm just gonna surrender my life to you. And here's what you need to know about my commitment. My answer is yes. Now, God, go ahead and ask the question because I will choose to obey you in everything even before I know the request. And if you can say that, you're pretty darn mature. So let me ask the question. When you place yourself in the spectrum, are you currently mature enough to live out the purpose of God for your life? And I'm just gonna say to you, if you're not somewhere at the end of the spectrum, you're not even close yet. And what would it mean for each of us in this room to after our self-assessment say, it is my commitment that I'm gonna move at least one this year. I'm I'm gonna go from from being a childlike Christian, I'm gonna get to that teenage level this year. That's my commitment to growth because I wanna get closer and closer to God's purpose in my life. If you're a teenage Christian, you go, man, I'm, I'm, I'm striving to be that young adult whose absolute heart is to please the heart of God. If you're a young adult, man, I wanna be mature. I want all the arguing to be over and I want to be fully surrendered. What would that mean for us? You and I will never be able to live the purpose of God until we're mature enough for the purpose. Let's pray. Hey, dearest Heavenly Father, we we simply come to you in the moment and realize suddenly that maybe one of the reasons you haven't revealed to us what our life was for is that we wouldn't even understand it. It wouldn't even make sense. We would probably reject it because we're not mature enough to live in that purpose yet. And so God, here is the cry of our hearts. Grow us up. Help us us to live lives of constant surrender. That we would simply not just take what we love and put it on the altar, we would take our own selves and put ourselves on the altar and say, God, do anything you wanna do. It all belongs to you. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me encourage you in a couple things. One of the reasons uh, that we've got the classes that we've made for purpose 
is because we wanna help you move forward. And I just wanna remind you again, you can sign up just to get information about those classes by texting 21999. But here's what you need to hear me also say, you will not get far enough in the six weeks of those classes. If you're serious about growing in your faith and growing in your purpose, this is gonna be a lifelong commitment. You're gonna have your Sundays planned out and it's gonna be more than being a spectator in this room, it's gonna be a participant in another room if you're serious about discovering your purpose. We're gonna go uh, into a time of communion. And here's what I wanna encourage you to do. One of the things that the Bible says about communion is that we're not supposed to come to this moment unworthy, which simply means this. We shouldn't have any sin in our life that we're not willing to confess. We shouldn't have a place in our life of disobedience that we're not willing to surrender. So I wanna give you the next uh, few moments to just do some business with God and say, hey God, here's the things that are between you and me, and I want us to be in a good place when I take communion in a few moments. If you don't have uh, one of the communion cups, if you raise your hand, we're gonna get those to you right now. You take a moment or two while we sing, you get your heart ready. You realize communion is a moment of wonder that the God who said to Abraham, no, 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 you don't have to give your son, turned around and willingly gave his. Jesus in the night that he was betrayed said, this bread is my body broken for you, reminding us that we didn't earn heaven, we had to receive a savior that salvation came outside of us and was given to us. And Jesus said, take and eat.
in that same night, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood, reminding us that the cost of our salvation was wildly expensive. He said, drink ye all of it. Dear God, we, we come to this moment and we marvel. We marvel at a God who willingly gave us everything that is good, who withheld nothing from us that would bless us. And so God, in return, we withhold nothing from you. We willingly come to this moment and say, God, we will surrender our lives. We will grow in our faith we will live in our purpose. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here's what we get to do. We, you and I get to go do something I think is incredibly cool. Uh, we're gonna go out and celebrate uh, the depot, a building that you, because of your generosity, you, because you got this idea that we needed more rooms in order to be more mature, built that building for cash. And guys, I just, it's such an honoring moment. And I think today we want to go dedicate that to the Lord. Say, God, we did this for you. Use it for your glory. So you're going to go out. You're going to grab your kids because we're tired of watching them. Uh, and then you're going to go over to the depot. What a powerful thing for you as a family to go pray. There's some little prayer stations there. Take your kids. Let them see the sacrifice their family made to follow God. So go celebrate that. If you need prayer, we've got a team that's going to meet you at the front. You come forward, get that taken care of, and then you go see the depot. Hey, God bless.